theyeshiva.net. Hechel Menachem presents A Tale of Two Souls, an ongoing lecture series on the Tanya by Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Jacobson. This is the seventh tape in the series entitled The Divine Consciousness of the Jew, recorded live at Hechel Menachem, Brooklyn, New York. Good morning to all. We are at the beginning of uh, Perig Bays of Tanya. After the conclusion of the first parak, where the author, Rabbi Shneir Zalman, the Alter Rebbe, discussed and analyzed, although briefly, the first soul and consciousness that exists within the Jew, termed the Nefesh HaBahamitz, the animal soul, or the Nefesh HaChiyunis, the vital soul, he now goes on to discuss and analyze the second so the second nefesh that exists within every Jew, which is termed the nefesh alakis, the godly soul, the divine soul. Perig base. The nefesh hashenis bi Yisrael hichelik alakamim al mamish. The second soul of the yid of the Jew is chelik alakamim al mamish. It's truly a part of Hashem above. Kamei as the Pasuk says in Parshish Bereshis, Perig Beis, Pasuk Zayin, Vayipach ba'apov nishmas chayim. And he, Hashem, blew into his nostrils a soul of life, a nishmat chayim. This refers, of course, to the creation of Adam Harish and the first human being. The Pasuk says over there in Parshish Bereshis, Vayitzar Hashem elakim esa Adam offer min ha'adama, which means Hashem formed Adam, man, from the dust of the earth. He blew into his nostrils a soul of life, and man became a nefesh chaye, a living creature. In addition to that, he quotes another statement, which means you blew it into me. This is a statement that we say every morning, including this very Sunday morning in Birchis Hashachar, taken from Masechta Brachis Dav Samach, Elakai Neshamash Nasatabi. My God, the soul that you have given into me is Tahirihi, it's pure, Atabarasa, you have created it, Atayitzarta, you have formed it, Vaatanafachtabi, you blew it into me. So we have two sources where we see that the idea of the neshama, of the soul that exists within the human being, came, so to speak, from a blow of Hashem. Either vayipach ba'apav nishmaschayim, he blew it into his nostrils, or be you blew it on into me. What is the significance of blowing? So he continues, k'meshakasav b'zayar, or k'meshakasav b'zayar, as it is written in the zayar, which is the most fundamental and basic text in the Kabbalah authored by the Tanner, Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai, and his students. So the Zayar says, Man de nafach nafach. This is an axiom, a dictum, he who blows, blows from within him. Mitoiche nafach, he blows from within him. What is the meaning of the statement? Pirush, that is to say, Mitoiche yusayu mipnimi yusay. From his inwardness and his innermost being. 
blowing is not an external expression of the human body, rather it is from his inwardness and his innermost being. For it is of his inward and innermost vitality that a man emits through blowing with force. Which is the reason why blowing tires a person much more quickly than speaking. Speaking can continue for many minutes and many people can talk yet without stop for many hours. It's no problem. But blowing is not so easy. Blowing, you can do it for 10 seconds, for a minute, two minutes. You'll become tired finally. Some people can do it more. But it tires out a person. What is the difference? Both in speaking and in blowing, the ear and oxygen from the inside of the person is emitted through one's mouth. But nevertheless, the vitality and the energy that a person imbues in the blowing is far more deeper and stronger and more powerful than speaking. Therefore, you can go on, talk, talk, not forever, but for a significant amount of time. Which reminds me of the story of the rabbi who was giving the sermon and uh, was just non-stop. He continued one hour after another hour after a third hour. And finally the congregation, you know, after all said and done, with all the respect they had towards the rabbi, uh, it was impossible anymore. So one, one person after another person begun evacuating the synagogue. Besides one, finally everyone left. Besides one individual decided to stay out of respect. So he was the only one there. Finally, the rabbi concluded the sermon. He goes over to him and he says, I thank you very much for remaining here till I concluded and I apologize for the long sermon. But what should I do? There was no clock on the wall. So the guy responds, he says, there was no clock, but there was a calendar. So speaking is, uh, speaking you don't get tired of. But blowing is, it comes from the inside of the person. So what is the idea over here? It's a metaphor, of course. When you say, Hashem is not a corporal existence, doesn't have a body, doesn't have the image of a body, so when we talk, when we say the word blowing, he blew into his nostrils a soul, or you blew it into me, it does not have any physical meaning or significance, rather it's an anthropomorphism, which is when we use human, human attributes to explain a certain aspect of the divine reality. What does the Pasuk want to say with Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas that the soul, the nishmas chayim, is connected to the depth of the divine reality. Which is a significant difference between every single other existing creature or being and the soul of the Jew. Regarding the entire world and everything contained in it, the Mishnah says, The world was created through ten Utterances. Doesn't say through Hashem blowing, through Hashem speaking, or the Pasuk says, Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu. The heavens were created through Dvar Hashem, So usually the term Dibur is, is referred to as the means which Hashem employed to create the world. Regarding the Neshama, however, the Pasuk uses the term Vayipach. What is the difference? 
Dibur explains, yes, of course the entire world was created by Hashem. But nevertheless, it's an expression, so to speak, and it comes from the external reality of the divine. Versus the neshama is rooted, its origin is in the internal essence of the divine reality. And this is, so this is the significance both of the Vayipach Bap of Nishmas Chayim and the Va'atanafachta B. And therefore he explains that the Nefesh Hashemis B. Yisrael is unique in this aspect. Parenthetically, although he does not say this explicitly in this parak, but this is discussed elsewhere in Tanya, there is an additional difference between uttering and blowing. In addition to the first difference, where, utter, where speaking expresses the ex- an external dynamic of the human being and blowing an internal aspect of him, an additional difference is that regarding the entire universe, it says that Hashem's utterance created a world. Created an animal, created stones, whatever it created. So the physical creation or spiritual creation is an embodiment is a physical articulation of the divine utterance. But the divine utterance itself, that is not the world. The world was created and is sustained by the divine utterance. But the utterance and the world are two distinct realities. Over here, the Pasuk is not saying that Hashem's blow created a soul. The blow, that is what the soul is. Vayipach ba'apav nishmas Hashem blowing into his nostrils, that is the soul. Yeah. Which means that the soul is the actual blow of Hashem. And what is a blow? A blow is the significance, it's a parable, for something of his pnimius, of the pnimius, of the internal essence of the divine reality. And that itself becomes the neshama. It's not that from that another creature comes out, which is called the neshama. That itself is articulated and embodied in the neshama. Which means in addition to the first difference, that the entire world and everything contained therein comes from the utterance of the divine, which is an external aspect, and not from the internal essential aspect of the divine. That's one difference. Furthermore, even the fact that the world comes from the external aspect, it's not that the external divine reality becomes the world. It creates a world, but the world is something else. It's something secondary, additional. Versus by the neshama, not only does it come from the internal aspect of the divine reality, but that internal essence, that is the soul, that is, becomes articulated within the soul of the Jew. Not within, but actually that is the soul. That's the idea of a yipach ba'apav nishmas Of course, the entire Tanya is based on the posik in the title page, which might be quite familiar to the participants over here already. Kikare says the Torah mitzvah is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. We discussed at length the significance of this Pasuk and how it becomes the central motto and theme of the entire book of the Tanya. So to explain the connection of this statement and the content of this Perik to this Pasuk is quite superfluous because it is only this statement that allows the person to understand relate and achieve 
the demand and the message of the Tanya. The Tanya comes to the Jew and tells him, listen, we talk about Hashem, we talk about Hashem's reality. We talk about Gdusha, we talk about the divine reality. This exists within you. Every single Jew, by the virtue of him being Jewish, contains within himself a godly consciousness, a divine soul, a soul which the reality of this soul, what lies at the core and the heart of this soul, is not an earthly, mundane, human reality, but rather a divine reality. And this is a very real and true part of the human being that one cannot escape, defy, or deny. Every nefesh of every yid is a chelik mamish, which is extremely central to the demands and to the message of the Tanya that every single Jew possesses this chelik mamish, and everyone can access it and tap into it and make it a vibrant, true, significant reality in his or her life. And it literally takes the Jew and lifts him and elevates him beyond the parameters of a limited, created universe. It, it imbues him of a, a divine reality, a divine spark. Now, the statement in the beginning of the Perek, is, is a powerful statement. Truly a part of Hashem above. So the actual term is paraphrased from a posik in Eiv, in the beginning of Perik Lamed Aleph, Eiv says, Bris karati uma He laments. He says, Bris karati I have created a covenant for my eyes not to look at negative things. Uma I wasn't even contemplating Apsula. Absula is a woman who even is not married. I did not go after her. I did not look after her. I tried to be a very moral human being. Stick to my own field. And he continues in Pasuk Beis. He says, But what is the lot? What is the part that I received as a reward of my deeds from Aleika, from Hashem? From above, what is the inheritance that I received from Hashem? Again, from above, from the heavens. Is not destruction for the wicked. Aid is destruction for the wicked. Strange punishment to the workers of iniquity. So Iyayv, who is one of the most dramatic figures of the Tanakh, Laments about the fact that although throughout his entire life he strives to live a moral, perfected life, nevertheless, what was the chalik al-ikami mal, what was the portion he received as a reward for this from above? Misery, negativity, destruction, hunger, uh, death of his family, as everyone knows the story of Yaif. So the Alter Rebbe over here paraphrases the words, the term and uses it to describe and define the neshama, the nishmas chayim of a Jew. Now, due to the revolutionary statement, I would like to discuss for a moment the sources of this. For the Tanya, for the Alter Rebbe, and for Hasidic philosophy in general, in the Sharu, Chakaydish, and Yerush Gimel, in a section called Kavanah Sa'efer, says, I quote, 
Adam nivra mechaimer v'tzura. A human being is created from a chaimer and a tzura, which means he's a combination of matter and spirit, matter and energy. Shehu nefesh v'ruach u'neshama shehi chelik eleikam imal. Shenemar v'yipach ba'apav nishmas chayim. But he doesn't explain how you see it from the pasuk v'yipach ba'apav nishmas chayim that it's a chelik eleikam imal. He just brings the Pasuk to prove that the nefesh, ruach, and hasham of the human being is a chelik alikami mal. More explicitly, it says in a sefer called Shefa Tal. Shefa Tal was a great Kabbalist whose name was Rabbi Shapsi Sheptel Horowitz. He lived in Prague and he was a student of the famed mystic, one of the greatest in Jewish history, Rabbi Moshe Kardaviro, the Ramak. 16th century, Tzfasian Mekubal, author of the Pardis, is his most famous sefer, but many more. And over there in the introduction, immediately when you open the Shafatal, the introduction, the Hagdama begins, Da, no, he commands you to know. shall umma Yisraelis. That the souls, the Shama Yisraelis, Yisraelis, the souls of the Jewish nation, Heim Chelek Eleikam Mimal. Again, are a part of Hashem above. Asher alzer ramaz apasuk yichelik Hashem amay. Over here, he brings another pasuk. He says this is the remez in the pasuk in Parshas Hazinu. Meishu Rabbeinu says yichelik Hashem amay yakev chavul nachalasai. So he interprets that to mean yichelik Hashem amay. That amay, his nation, are yichelik Hashem, are a part of Hashem. And he continues ritzayinay leimar yichelik mamish. The meaning in the Basak is, it's not an exaggeration, it's not a metaphor, it's not a parable, it means chelik mamish, a true part, which the Alter Rebbe also emphasizes, chelik eleikam imal mamish, I mean it really, it's a serious issue. That's what the Shefa Tal says. He has another sefer, it's called Nishmas Shapsi Halevi, and over there in Shardalit he also explains this concept Discusses it at length how the neshama is a chelik alikam imal. I'm sure many of you heard of the Reishis Chachma. It's one of the most basic books in Musr and Jewish ethics, written by Rabbi Liyahu Dividash, also from Tzvas, a contemporary of the Ramak. In Reishis Chachma, almost a dozen times, Rabbi Eliyahu mentions the fact that the neshama is a chelik alikam imal. But one specific quote I want to share with you due to its similarity to this paragraph in Tanya, and that is in a sefer called, from the Reishis Chachma, Tetzas Chayim, section Kofay and Ches, he says, It is known the fact that the Neshama is a part of Hashem. As the Pasuk says, Ki chelik Hashem amay, va'amar, and the, another Pasuk says, Va'yipach ba'apav nishmas Chayim, kol hanayfeyach me'atzmusayhu nayfeyach. Whoever blows, blows from his essence. But the most direct <coughs> statement in previous sources, which is almost word by word what Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, or the, the Tanya is word by word what that person says, is in a sefer, it's quite unfamiliar, but it's an interesting sefer, it's called Yeshir Levav. This is also a very, fundam- it's a very, it's a Kabbalistic text, written by Rabbi Amnuel Chayriki, he lived already in the 18th century, contemporary of the Baal Shem Tev. He has a very famous sefer called Mishnas Chassidim. His sefer, Yerusha Levav, he writes, he says, 
the neshama, haneshama, is chelik eleka milmaila hi mamish. Is mamish a part of Hashem above? Kidiksiv ba'adamarish, like it says regarding adamarish. Shekal haneshama is binishmasa nitlu ki yadua. Which all the neshamas, as known, were first hanging in his neshama. I'll explain that in a moment. But regarding him, it says, Vayipach ba'apav nishmas chayim. The Kabbalist said on this Pasuk, Whoever blows again is emitting something from his essence. Because you may ask, doesn't refer to every Jew. It says regarding other Mauritian, the first human being. But the answer is, as the Yaisha Lavav points out, and it's something very well known in the field of Jewish mysticism, that Adam HaRishin's neshama was what's called a collective neshama, a neshama klolis, a neshama that was inclusive of all the subsequent Jewish souls of all the generations. We're all included in Adam HaRishin's soul. In other words, you could say just like physically, you'll talk about one body, which has many branches, offshoots, components, compartments, arms, legs, a heart, a brain, eyes, but nevertheless, they are all part of one single unit called the body. The same is true in the spiritual aspect of the human being, the soul, that all the souls of all the Jews were included and are offshoots and branches of the one inclusive soul of Adam So the Vayipach Ba'ap of Nishmas Chayim includes every single Jewish soul in all subsequent generations, and thus the significance of the Vayipach, the blowing which denotes a relationship to the essence, to that of the divine reality, refers to every Neshama. Yeah. Um, Not... Not they are included, but not this Nishmas Chayim which we're discussing the Vayipach Ba'apav. This Nishmas Chayim where it says the Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chayim, this refers to Adam Arishas Neshama which encompasses all Neshamas Yisrael. Yeah. The human being, of course. The Jew. Alakai Neshama Shanasatabi. It means, of course, What do you mean you're going to take it away? It means, of course, the time when the neshama leaves the body and returns to... Why is that a, why is that a question on what I said? You're asking a general question on Berch If the body is talking, so the body, you're saying, why can the body talk? Because it's a corpse. So you want the soul to be talking. So if the soul is talking, it's talking about itself like it would be another human being. Yeah. What do they say? The sign of someone getting old and senile when they talk about him in front of him as if he wasn't there. So, uh, okay, that's a general question. And it's a good, it's a legitimate, it's a very good question. I'm going to address a little later on in the shear something similar and that will answer that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay, granted. 
the problem is, problem in quotation marks is, that we have another soul, that's also a true soul. And it's also quite powerful. And that's the Nefesh Bahamas. <laughs> and that gives another perception of reality. So there's quite a struggle in one's life. So Maish Rabbeinu has to say, Karav Eilech Yeah. What Um, generally speaking, the metaphor for that one can give is a uh, the root of a tree possesses within it all the different branches and offshoots, compartments and particles of the tree. But nevertheless, when you look at the root, it's indistinguishable. Over there, it's on a more abstract and less defined articulative level. Although the differences are there and later it comes out. The same is true historically speaking. Although the difference of the Jew and the non-Jew in an articulate manner begun with Avraham. And even more articulate manner only with Matan Nevertheless, even in the first generations, it was there, but it was not as articulated and clear as it came out later with Avraham. By the way, the Arizal writes something very interesting. In Lakuti Torah, La Arizal on Tehillim Perik Lamed Beis, he says that if not of the Chet Eitzadas, only Yidin would come out of the Neshama of Adam Arishim. Which answers your question, the Vayipach Ba'ap of Nishmas Chayim, when it happened, it was before the Chet Eitzadas. That's when Adam was created. So the Arizal says that if not for the Chet Eitzadas, the only neshamas that would come out of Adam Harishain was neshama Yisrael. Because the Vayipach Ba'ap of Chayim, in essence, refers to this unique nefesh alakis, which the non-Jew does not possess. Everyone possesses a spark of the divine. Everyone has divine vitality, but it's not the same, it's not the same divine spark. There are many differences, both in content, expression, in depth, in relationship, etc., so the Vayipach Ba'ap of Nishmas Chaim refers to the Yid. If not for the Chet, that would be the only thing. The Chet Eitzadas imposed upon him and, and entered and brought into his life other levels of experience and reality. And from there came out the other nations of the world. Yeah. Okay, the question is, the question is, how did I say, in other words, how did I say no Jew can deny it when there are many Jews existing that do deny it? I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying okay. does deny it. Slight it? correction, slight correction. Yeah. What I meant he does not deny is, of course, with one's mouth, one can say, I do not have a mamish. What I meant by denying is more in the sense of escaping it, or destroying it, or eradicating it. Yeah. Okay. No, I meant anthropomorph. Anthropomorphism means when you apply human or perhaps animal attributes to the divine reality. So blowing, Hashem doesn't have a mouth and he doesn't sit and blow and doesn't get tired from it. For what purpose? To understand, to have an intellectual grasp. Of the idea of blowing, yeah. 
Mamish means that it is truly a chelikal akamimal. Yeah, it's true, but that's, that, but Hashem is not just this, you know, a Hashem is also a part that He's also a process that it's going on. And right now, as we're speaking, as everything that's going on, Hashem is keeping you blowing into the creation. Okay. Allegorically speaking, Jewish souls have risen in the divine thought, Yisrael Alubamachshava, which is again another marshal. And this is this time from the Medrash. Horatius Rabbah, Perig Bey says, six things were created prior to the creation of the universe. Two were created before the creation of the universe, and four were Alubamachshava Lihibaris, have risen in the divine thought to be created. The first two are Torah and Kisiyah Kavit. The final four are the Avais, Yisrael, Beis Hamikdash, and Shmei Mashiach. But I'll call upon them number two of the last four is Yisrael. So Yisrael, Allu B'machshava, they have risen in the divine thought. What is the significance of this? What is the marshal, the Adalach marshal? What is the allegory? What's the difference between Machshava and Dibur again? There is thought of the human being and speech. Speech in Hasidus is, it's not in Hasidus, it's the PR of the human being. It's the part of the human being that is revealed to others, to external, to an external world, to an external reality. It does not convey or reveal the essence of the human being as he or she is for themselves. Machshava is of course something internal and essential which is the person communicating with his very self, with his intimate self. It's interesting, also practically speaking, if you will uh, ask a person to talk about weather, politics, sports, news, people can talk about it for three, four hours, no problem. Then ask someone to talk for a few moments about their intimate self, their, their deepest part. So I'm not talking about if they're embarrassed to convey that aspect to a second individual. That's another issue. But you'll see a person will struggle to discover the adequate words and terms to convey that part of themselves. Apparently, it should be the other way around. Politics, news, which is something external to us. Over there, you should have difficulty finding the words. No, over there, it's free. You can talk about it for hours. But about your most intimate self, which you should be so well acquainted with, why do you grapple and struggle to find the adequate words? And the answer is, because words are limiting containers. They are limiting containers. They cannot define and articulate and convey a deeper aspect of intimate self. And therefore people from the beginning of history always created new terms and modes of language to express deeper things. The language of poetry, the language of music, and then there's the language of silence, the language of machshava. So machshava and dibur are two dynamics in the human existence. Dibur is ultimately external, machshava is internal. So neshama is Yisrael, all machshava is again another way of expressing the idea of ayipach. 
Nishamas are not rooted only in the divine speech, but furthermore in the divine thought. Kidiksiv, as the Pasik says, Bnib Khaidi Yisrael. In Parsha Shmais, Kayamar Hashem, Bnib Khaidi Yisrael, Yidin is my firstborn son. The Jews is my, the Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel is my firstborn son. Another Pasik in Parsha Shmai, You are children of Hashem, of Hashem your God. By the way, Bnib Khaidi Yisrael is a Pasik. Said before Matan Teda regarding the collective Am Yisrael, Banim Atem Hashem Alakechem. After Matan Teda, regarding to every single individual Jew, Banim Atem Hashem Alakechem. Plural. Again, over here we have the Jews being termed as Hashem's children. What is the significance of a child? So literally, you'll say we're Hashem's children. He created us. A father creates a child. Parents create children. Furthermore, he gives us sustenance. He directs us. He's responsible for us. But Al-Tarebbe takes it a step deeper. And says that the analogy of the Jew as the child of Hashem actually is to be understood in terms of the physiological and psychological relationship that exists between a child and his father. And he explains, Pirush, that is to say, just as a child is derived from its father's brain, so too, which means to use an anthropomorphism, the soul of every Jew is derived from Hashem's thought and wisdom. So what is the definition of a child? Nimshach comes from the brain of the father. Which means, in other words, that the relationship of a father and a child is not only a physical one, where a part of the physical body of the father becomes the source and the origin of the life of the child. But rather, there is a relationship where they are connected in, this, in spiritual psyche and character to the extent where the child is rooted in the essence of the father's personality. So well, despite the fact that of course there becomes a physical semen and then leaves the father's body which creates a separate child, which is a distinct separate body. Nevertheless, in source, the child comes from a place where he was once upon a time inseparable of the father's essence. That is what creates the child, what is projected ultimately in what becomes the people that creates the child. Thus, even after the child becomes a separate entity, at the heart of its consciousness lies an inescapable truth that this is his father. One second. Because although through many complicated journeys and voyages, etc., it becomes something else, but nevertheless, the son ultimately is part and parcel of the spiritual reality and entity of the Father, of the Ani, of the I, of the essence of the Father. And if you would take the physical son, and you'll trace it back to the source of this child, until its origin, it will ultimately meet, and become one, actually, with the essence of the Father. So the Alter Rebbe says, every Yid, 
is a child of Hashem. Not only a Yid is something that Hashem creates, but rather it's a child, which is Nimshecha Mimachshafte V'chachmasi Yisbarach. At the heart and at the core of the soul of the Jew, Hashem is his father. Meaning the Neshama is not only something created by Hashem, something else created, but rather an expression of the divine reality itself. Yet, there is the aspect of the child that there is a second entity. The Neshama ultimately is a consciousness. It's a consciousness that exists within the human being that has many manifestations and expressions and attributes and faculties. It conceives, it comprehends, it applies, it attracts, it it rejects, it synthesizes, it endures, it bonds, it's devoted, and it's aristocratic. I just enumerated the ten faculties of the soul. But nevertheless, what does it come from? So all these three expressions used in Tanya. But for number one, Vayipach. Number two, Yisrael Alabamachshav. Number three, that Yidin are children of Hashem. All are explaining the same message. In different terms. One in the term of blowing, one in the term of machshav, and then finally in the term of calling the neshama a child. And that is, that the nefesh hashen is b'yisrael is a chelik alekamim al-mamash. Yeah, you want to ask something? Um, so, 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 if, as someone is, let's say, availing himself to, let's say, learn the Torah, let's say, yeah. that, that, then he will be able to reflect more the, the Okay, again, let's let's wait a moment, a little to that. We'll discuss it later, yeah. Um, um, a couple of years ago, in the uh, New York Times, there was a report that there had been a discovery of a artery, some, some uh, actual physical connection between the brain and the testicles. They didn't know that it existed, but it was found a couple of years ago. I cut it out, in fact. I, I put it by a county I have at home. Uh-huh. If I find it, I'll bring it up. Okay, up. very good. Okay, good. Yeah. The Kavayachal, you want to know why it says Kavayachal? The Kavayachal is not that the Neshama is Nimshach. The Kavayachal is using a term of Machshava and Chachma by Hashem. Yeah. In other words, or, or more, more clearly, so you want to make that same parable for the Neshama and Hashem, so that's Kevayachal. Because of course it's much different than in the physical aspect. Yeah? You're making a statement or you're asking a question? You want to know if all the Neshamas would create Hashem's reality? And the neshamas are what? What does a chelik mean? Again, it's uh, you're asking a good question, but we'll have to discuss that a little more. The idea of a neshama later in the parak, yeah. Does the fact that a Jew has two souls related to the pasuk benib chayri yisrael that the firstborn son gets a double portion, a double inheritance? Nice point, perhaps. 
Good point. I never saw that, but perhaps. But not never shall the kiss. You mean Klippas Naiga has two aspects of it? Taiva and Ra. Okay. Yeah. The Kivayachal, I'm telling you, is to to the Ben Nimshach and That's a mushal. It's Kivayachal. It's anthropomorphic to understand how this is, how the relationship of the Nisham is with Hashem. What? Yeah, yeah. The Kivayachal is not referring to that. The Kivayachal is on using the previous mushal, the Gashmi is the Kamadal, to explain that. Right. And the Gemara, the Gemara, yeah, it's from the Gemara Nida, the Aflamina, Kaddish Baruch Hanaisim by Ruach Hanashama, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, now he continues, the Alter Rebbe, and he says, the Iyu Chakim Velabachach Meyidiyah. For he is wise, but not with the wisdom that is known to us. This is a statement of Tikkun Zayhar. The section called Pasach Eliyahu. Some people say it on Erev Shabbos before Mincha. He is wise. He possesses the quality of wisdom. But not the wisdom that is known to us created beings. Why? Because In his case, he and his wisdom are one. In the human reality, the human condition, the human being, and the wisdom of the human being are two distinct components that are comprised by Hashem we say, Hu echad. He and His wisdom are one. Hence, Antu chakim He is wise, but not with wisdom that is known to us. As the Rambam states this, Shahu hamada vuhu chulu. The Rambam in Hilchis Yisaidi Hatayre and Perik Beis discusses Hashem's wisdom. And he uses the Lashen, he says, Hu Hamada, Vuhu Hayaideya, Vuhu Hayadua. Now, when he says over here, Kamesh Kasav Harambam, it's from three places. Combination of Hilchis Yisaidiya Teira, Perik Beis, Hilchis Chuva, Perik Hay, and Shmaina Prakim of the Rambam at the conclusion of it. And all, in all three of these places, the Rambam makes the same point, although every time he employs different language. There are three aspects. One is called Mada, Yaideya, and Yadua. Mada means the means of knowledge, the intellectual faculty. Yaideya is the knower, the soul that possesses the intellectual faculty. And Yadua is the object which is known. When a person comprehends a certain intellectual idea, what happens over here is a unity of three distinct realities. Yaideya is the knower, the human personality and spiritual soul that contains a faculty of wisdom. Then there is the Mada, there is the actual intellectual faculty, which is the means that the human being employs to comprehend and grasp. And then there is the Yadua, the intellectual idea, which entered the brain and the mind of the human being. By the human being, these are three distinct realities. The Yadeya, the Mada, the Yadua. Comes the Rambam and he says that Hashem, Hu HaMada, Hu HaYadeya, Vihu HaYadua. He, the very same Hashem, is the Mada, 
is the intellectual faculty of wisdom, is the idea, the knower, the source of it, and is the idea, is the conceived idea. There are no three distinct realities. That is the whole reality of Hashem. And as the Rambam puts it in Hilchis Yisraeli he says, "Hakadosh Baruch Hu Makir Amitevi Edeya Isakameshehi." Hashem knows His truth as it is. Ve'eni Edeya Bedeya Sheichutz Mimenu Kameshe Anu Yaidin. He does not know through an. He does not know a through a deya through a faculty of wisdom that is something external to Him, like by us human beings. She'ein Anu Vedaytenu Echad. But by Hashem, who He, his knowledge, his life are one from every side, from every angle, from every corner, every manner of unity. It means what you're saying is He is the knower, he is what is known, and he is the means of knowledge. It's all one. That's his Lashon Hilchis Yisrael Yatayr and Hilchis Chuvish Menaprakim. It's a little different, but the same idea. What was bothering the Rambam? Two two problems. Problem number one is compartmentalization. Jewish faith is Hashem Echad. Hashem is unified. There are no compartments and components to Him. If there is Him, and then there is His faculty of wisdom, and then there is what He knows. So there are immediately three distinctions. That's number one. So we say, How is it possible? Because he knows everything from himself, the Rambam explains. Since everything comes from him. So we know, how do I know about you? Not from myself. I have to see you. I have to talk to you. So that's your dua. But since everything comes from Hashem, so by knowing himself, he knows everything. Because he knows them, how it's in him. And everything comes from him. And that very knowledge is the Mada and the Yodeya. That's one issue the Rambam addresses. Another problem is change. If Hashem knows things by not, by virtue of them existing outside of Him, and not by virtue of them coming from Him, that would mean that there is change because new things happen, new things occur, things are created today, things are gone tomorrow, and His knowledge keeps on being altered. From one thing to another thing. So the Rambam says, And the Rambam continues, This is not within the power of any man to comprehend clearly. As it says in Can you find... And understand Hashem by searching. If you'll search for Hashem, Timtza, will you find Him? It says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, Nu'um Hashem, says Hashem. Consequently, your thoughts, human thoughts, cannot possibly comprehend my thoughts. Hashem's Chachma. So, what do we see from here? That He and His wisdom are one. There are not two distinct realities of him and his chacham, but they're rather one. So when you say that the neshama is nimshecha mimachshavtei v'chachmasa yisbarach, comes from the wisdom and the thought of Hashem, hu v'chachmasa yechot. The mada and the yedeya are one. Which means, in other words, chelek aleikam imal mamash. Because of hu v'chachmasa yechot, and the neshama comes 
from Achshavta and Chachmasa. It means that the Neshama is actually derived from who himself? From the Hashem himself, from Hashem's reality himself. Let's look in the Haggah. On the side, you'll see there's a Haggah, a note, it's a footnote. There's a star after the word Harambam, it's in smaller letters. And many times in the, throughout the chapters of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe has notes. He says, The Kabbalists have agreed with him, with the Rambam, that Hashem can be described as the knower, the knowledge, and the knowing all in one. As stated in the Paradis of Rabbi Moshe, Kardeviro, mentioned him before, the 16th century, Makubal of Tzvas, Darizal, was for a significant time a Talmud of his. So in a sefer called Pardis, remind him, in Shar Mohusva and Haga, Perik Yud Gimel, in Shar Atzmus Vekelim, Perik Dalit, he says, and he quotes the statement of the Rambam, that, Now the Alter Rebbe says, the Kabbalists have agreed with him. Because it's not such a simple manner. The Rambam says this. But there are many people who argue with the Rambam. Among them great Jewish philosophers. Most notably the Maharal of Prague. Rabbi Yehuda Leva of Prague. Has a sefer called Gvurei Hashem. In the second introduction to that sefer. Who does he criticize the Rambam? In quite powerful and unequivocal terms. He elaborates the issue on the issue, there's a very lengthy discussion over there, he brings out two problems. Problem number one, according to the Rambam, Hashem only knows those things that come from Him. But there are many things that go on in the world that don't come from Him. For example, when a person transgresses Hashem's will, how does he know that? <laughs> he knows that from knowing himself. Well, the transgression exists within him. Of course not. The human being possesses free choice and makes that Avera. So if the, Ram, the Hashem's idea comes solely from Him, from knowing Him, because the Yadua is one with the Yedeya and the Mada, there are many things He might not know. It's a result of Klippa. But a person doing sin exists in Hashem. The ability of sin Hashem created. But the actual transgressions of humanity? He doesn't know that. He doesn't. But according to the Rambam, how does he know it? The whole Yadua dynamic is one with the Mad and the Yedeya dynamic. So how does he know it? That's one problem the Maral has. Getting late. Second problem the Maral has is a deeper problem, deeper, different problem. And that is the definition problem, it's called. He says, according to the Rambam, Hashem has a definition. He's defined. He's defined by wisdom, by intellect. True, quite abstract and sublime intellect beyond any human comprehension. But nevertheless, Mada, Yadua, Yadeya, has a description, it has a definition. Seichel has a parameter. It has not a physical parameter. It's not six inches tall or wide. But it, it, it's defi- it has a definition. It has a description. It means something. The Maral even defines it. He says the definition of Seichel is... He defines seichel. Someone, the ability for a person to know things as it, as they are. And you're defining Hashem. He says Hashem is descriptionless. He is definitionless. 
He has no definition whatsoever. The most abstract or sublime definition does not exist in the divine reality. He says, according to the Rambam, you should have called Hashem HaSeichel Baruch The Seichel blessed be He. We call Him HaKadosh Baruch What does Kadesh mean? Kadesh means not only holy. Kadesh means the aloof, the nivdal, the sublime, the separated, because He is beyond any definition. He cannot be defined through any category or distinction as abstract. It may be. So the Maharal disagrees with the Rambam and he holds that of course Hashem knows, but that's created. Just like Hashem created Iraq, He also created a faculty called knowledge. And when He knows, He's using something He created. It's a creation. It's not that knowledge is Him. He knows. Hashem is simple, He calls it. Simple means definitionless. Then he created many things. He created a concept called desire. He created a concept called knowledge, wisdom, just like he created Iraq. Nothing to do with him. He created something called knowledge, and he knows does not mean that the knowledge is him. He is he. He uses this creation knowledge, and he uses it to know something. And then, of course, you could say he knows things from outside of him. The first question goes off, because the knowledge is not him. There's no problem of change, no problem of compartmentalization. That's the issue over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's your only question on what I said. In other words, the issue, what I'm trying to bring, I know it's a very good question, but uh, it's a very complex issue. And um, uh, unfortunately, we have no time now to get into the rest of it. That's one issue you're raising. I just discussed briefly the shit of the Maharal and the Rambam. Next week we'll finish the Haggah, I'll elaborate a little more. But uh, the point over here being is that it's a Chiddush V'haydu Lechachmei HaKabbalah. It's not Stam. V'haydu Lechachmei HaKabbalah were made to the Rambam. And it's, and it's not because the Chachmei HaKabbalah were unaware of the critique of the Maharal. Sometimes you can agree to someone because you don't know another opinion. So what do we gain? It is Chachmei Kabbalah, which knew everything the Maharal is saying. And furthermore, in Kabbalah, the reality of the divine is much more aloof and sublime, even than the descriptions of the Maharal. Nevertheless, So therefore, the Rambam statement would be a valid statement, not only for the Rambam, but even in the field of Kabbalah and Chassidus. as well. Right. Kabbalah reconciles the two, yeah. Okay. Two questions. You're asking two questions. A, how can we say that the Neshama is a chelik, a lekamimah, part of Hashem above? Hashem is indivisible, chas Hashem is not a composite, a composite of various components and elements, as discussed earlier with the Rambam says, Hu amadu, hu and so forth. So how can we define the Neshama as a chilek And B, your second question is, ultimately, what is the meaning that haben nimshach mimayachav, the child comes from the mind of the father? Obviously, apparently that's not the case. 
the child is created from the physical reproductive substance of the father and the egg of the mother, you're saying? And that is not formed or created in the mind of the father. Okay, first, let me address the second question, which will also explain and answer your first question. It's explained in various farim that though the tipa, the reproductive substance of the father is obviously not created in the brain, its original source is nevertheless the brain and mind of the father. The terminology one would use in modern scientific terms to explain this, I don't know. It would certainly be an interesting issue to research this gentleman mentioned earlier a recent article he saw right in the science section of the time suggesting a powerful link between the tipa and the brain. So that would actually be quite interesting to research. But whatever the model one uses to explain this, the idea that Al-Tareb is conveying here is this. The tipa is a physical embodiment of the father's mind. The mind being the abode of his soul, of his identity, of his psyche and so forth. The tipa is a physical embodiment of the father's soul and identity. The essence of the father's soul goes into the tipa. His mayach goes into the tipa. The core of his spiritual energy is manifested in this tipa which develops into a child. So the child is not just a product from a certain organ in the father's body. Or it's a creation of his external energy. The quintessence of the father is embodied in that tipa which develops into his child. In Sfarim and in Chassidus it's explained that for this reason, the tipa comes about to be not just through the instruction of the mind, which also demonstrates a link between the two, but through the full involvement of the mind and the consciousness. No other phenomenon in the world engages the totality of the human being, the totality of his imagination, his energy, his vitality, the totality of the human condition, as the act connected to creating a child. Because what is happening at that moment is that the very core of the father's soul is, so to speak, being transmitted into this tipa, or is rather being embodied in this physical tipa. So this touches the deepest core of self and identity. Chassidus explains elsewhere that this is the reason for the infinitely intense love parents experience to their children. More than anything else in the world, we're of course talking about healthy and normal parents. Unfortunately, today, tragically, that is not the case. But if that's not the case, it means that the parents are not in tuned with life, are not in tuned with what is going on. But in a healthy case, There is nothing in the entire universe that strikes such a chord in the psyche of parents as the condition of their children. Because the child is not only a creation stemming from the father's or the mother's bodily substance. Rather, the little boy or the little girl is a continuum of the father's very life and soul. So the condition of his child affects him in his deepest place. And similar is the case concerning a mother and a child, but it's... it's, over there it takes on a different form and a different issue. The Al-Tareb is not addressing that here presently in this parak. 
In other words, this would mean that in its original source, a child, a daughter or a son, is inseparable of its father. And it's only as a result of a complex evolutionary process, both within the father's body and outside of his body, that the very essence of the parent assumes a distinct identity resulting in the structure of a newborn, of a newborn baby. And the same is true in the nimshal. Just as this is true in the metaphor, it's also true in the nimshal, in the relationship of the Jew to Hashem, which also will explain somewhat the term chilek. You see, when we are addressing the supernal realities, the terms used are at best remote parables to allow us to gain somewhat of an understanding in the nature of these realities. So when we use the term chilek, it should not be perceived as meaning a part in the literal sense of the word. Chas v'shalom, Hashem is indivisible in any form or fashion as discussed earlier. Chilek denotes, you might say, rather, the dubious nature of the neshama, similar to the dubious nature of the child. Where on one hand, the neshama does assume a distinct identity. The neshama is a consciousness consisting of a personality and character. We will soon learn in chapter 3 about the 10 faculties and attributes the neshama consists of. Emotional, intellectual, functional, and so forth. And on the other hand, the neshama is essentially, so to speak, part and parcel of Hashem himself. The neshama is totally connected essentially with the divine reality and essence. Similar to the dubious nature of a child, where on one hand it assumes a wholly separate reality, the child does not remain part of its father's soul or part of its father's body. Rather, the child ultimately emerges into the world to function as a thinking, feeling, and achieving human being. On the other hand, this very same child is essentially a continuum of its father's very identity and soul. So the term chilek, interestingly, describes the phenomenon of essence emerging into a distinct being. Into a distinct being. Something which is not external which is not additional, which is not secondary. Something which essentially is inseparable of the essence. It's part of the essence, so to speak. And the term part is just a borrowed term. It's connected to the essence. It's part and parcel of the essence. And that very essence is metamorphosized and transformed and emerges as a distinct being. That paradox, that essential paradox, is what we mean essentially when we use the term chilek. So just as when we address and we talk about a child, and we discuss the child being a part of its father, it doesn't mean that if we were to divide the father into parts, theoretically, he would be one of them. Obviously, that's not, what it, it's not the case. That's not what it's meant. A child inhabits, inhabits a second independent body. So we call him a chilek of the father to denote that it is the father's essence that has been transformed into a child. And similarly, although in a much more abstract and remote fashion is true concerning the neshama. There's one more point, however, I want to make concerning this issue of chilek. And that is, even when we say that the neshama is a chilek we emphasize that the neshama comes from chachmasi We don't say that the neshama 
is a part of Atzimus. We don't say the Neshama is a part of Hashem's essence. We say the Neshama comes from Chachma. We don't say, the Altar Rebbe doesn't say, from his essence. He says from his Chachma. And Chachma is one of the divine spheres. It's one of the divine emanations and projections. Although, he and his wisdom are one, as the Altar Rebbe emphasizes here in Tanya. But nevertheless, the very fact that we emphasize Chachmasi Yisbarach means and indicates that we are addressing the process in which the Atmos, the essence of Hashem, is revealed and projected through a certain form and definition. And from there, the Neshama stems. And like Dr. Rebbe will soon explain in the footnote, at the conclusion of the footnote, which we will learn next week, that this process occurs only after a symptom state. This is a post-symptom condition when the idea of Chachma is introduced and we say, which means after Hashem contracts Himself. But I just want to add that this, all of this is, uh, is uh, quite complex. It's a profound issue. It's discussed at length in the literature of Kabbalah and Chassidus. And understanding it requires a good grasp of some of the foundational ideas in Jewish mysticism. We won't get into the details, but a lot of it will become clearer as we continue forth learning the chapters of Tanya. Yeah. If there are any more sources for the idea that the Nisham is a chilek besides besides the sources I mentioned. Ah, paper. You're writing a paper on the issue. That's why you're asking the question. Yet, there are actually many more sources for the expression. I mentioned four sources. That the Neshama is a chelik alikam imal. The Arizal and Sharuch, HaKadosh, the Reishis Chachma, the Shefatal and the Yeshur Levav. I mentioned those which resemble the terminology that Alter Rebbe uses. The Alter Rebbe's choice of words is almost verbatim of those four sources that I mentioned, especially the Yeshu Levav, the Shefatal. That's why I mentioned those four. But the concept, the very concept, is to be found in very many works of Kabbalah. In fact, I have written down some of the sources. For example, in Pardus Rimoinim of the Ramak, of Reb Moshe Kodavir, in the beginning of Shara Lamed Beis, he writes, It has already been explained in the previous portal that man is a chelikalakamimal. His Talmud, Reb Moshe Alshech, writes it in his Svarim Sheshanas Ha'amakim and Rebim Muskel. In Shalom, Master Kabbalist Reb Yishaya Horowitz in Shnei Luchis Abriz mentions this more than two dozen times. In Arachayim, it says, in the commentary of Arachayim in Parshas Bereshus and in Parshas Yisra. This is all in addition to the Arizal, the Reshus Chachma, and the Shefetan, the Yosha Levav, which I mentioned earlier. Earlier, the truth is that this term, this phrase that the Nishama of man is a is also found in some of the Mefarshim on the Pasig Vayipach Bap of Nishmaschayim. In Parshas Bereshis, Perik Beis, Pasig Zayim. The Klayaka writes, Nishmas Chayim hi anefesh hamaskelos hanitzchi tseil madmin hanefeach v'timtza shezem edaber bechelik alakamimal. Nishmas Chayim is referring to the cognitive eternal soul. Go and learn the nature of a blower, and you will see that the neshama is a chelik alakamimal. The Malbim on the pasuk also writes this and elaborates on this in many in in a 
and elaborates this point in even a more elaborate manner than the Klayakar. Talking about it, however, let me make mention of the fact that there was a famous Jewish philosopher whose name was Reb Menashe ben Yisrael. He was a great activist, lived in the 17th century in Amsterdam. He is one of the people who was most and very influential in allowing England, in persuading England to readmit the Jews again into their country. Since their expulsion, I think 300 years earlier. From England, from the country, from England. So Reb Nashab Yisrael was very active in that. He has a sefer called Nishmas Chaim, and there he criticizes severely the Shefatal for saying that the Nisham is a That is his opinion about it, but as mentioned in very many works of Kabbalah, this is discussed, and it's discussed in great detail. In fact, someone in 1955, a Jew wrote a letter to the Rebbe about it. And the Rebbe responded, that the idea of the source of the neshama is part of the wisdom of Kabbalah. And therefore, the Menashe ben Yisrael in his time, the teachings of Kabbalah were not spread in all the corners of the world, and they were not explained, as they were explained in later generations. So, Reb Nasher ben Yisrael was a great philosopher and a great activist, Rebbe says, and so forth, but he did not have a thorough knowledge in the field of Kabbalah, because of the result that Kabbalah was not spread sufficiently in his country and in his area. Although in Ishmael Chaim, there are several things, the Rebbe says, that are connected to Kabbalah. So therefore, someone who doesn't have a thorough understanding in Kabbalah can obviously come to the conclusion that this idea is antithetical to Amuna, like the, the Nishmas Chaim does come to the conclusion. But after we see the fact that the Kabbalists discuss this at length, and as mentioned, it's even mentioned in Mepharshim, but the idea is discussed in Kabbalah at length, obviously this is something which requires an understanding of Kabbalah, and when we do have that understanding, the questions that he presents are eliminated. And the Rebbe brings the Rosh. There's a Rosh in Baba Kama, the fourth chapter, which explains the reason why in various issues, the halacha is like Rav and in others like Shmuel. So he says, because Shmuel was accustomed and frequently dealt with these particular issues. And therefore, he was much more medayik in these issues. And he actually probed the depth of these specific issues, issues, Shmuel Bedinah. And therefore, the halacha is like Shmuel in these areas. So the Rebbe says the same is true in every single area. Someone who doesn't deal with a certain issue cannot really give a psak din, cannot give a verdict in that particular issue unless he totally researched it and analyzed it thoroughly from all angles and so forth. Now, Reb Shapsi Sheftel Horowitz, the author of Shefatal, heard about the criticism that has been evoked on what he wrote, that the Nisham is a chelikalikamimal, and that's why he authored a second sefer, Nishma Shapsi Alevi, which I mentioned earlier. And there he defends this position that the Nisham is a chelikalikamimal. And by the way, in the beginning of uh, Shar Hay, of that sefer, he says that the source that the Nisham is a chelikalikamimal is the Ramban. He says that's the first primary source. The Ramban on the Pasuk Vayipach Bap of the Shmaschayim writes, and I quote, the Ramban says that this Pasuk Vayipach Ba'apov Nishmas Chaim is telling us the greatness of the soul, its source, and its mystique and secret. The Pasuk tells us that he blew into his nostrils a soul of life, says the Ramban, to notify us that the soul didn't come from the elements as the soul of 
as the soul of movement in other creatures of the universe. Not even as an evolution from the aloof, sublime intellectual beings. Rather, it's the spirit of Hashem HaGadol of Hashem coming from His mouth, His knowledge and His understanding because someone who blows in the nostrils of someone else is imbuing that person with part of His very neshama, of His very soul. You want to know if the two issues discussed earlier about the difference between the Neshama and the rest of the universe are connected with each other. Okay, the question, we mentioned earlier that there are two differences between the Neshama and everything else that exists, which are indicated in the Pasuk Vayipach, Ba'ap of Nishmas Chayim. Difference number one is that the Neshama comes from the Pnimius of Hashem, from Vayipach, it's a blow, it comes from the inside, from the internal energy of Hashem, not from the external energy of Hashem. And the other issue is that uh, the other world, everything in the universe was created as a result of Hashem's energy. Versus the Neshama, which is not created as a result of Hashem's energy, but rather it is Hashem's energy. So one difference is Vayipach, the Neshama is an aficha, comes from internal energy, the world comes from external energy. And another difference is that the Neshama is the energy itself becomes the Neshama, versus the rest of the world where the energy creates something else, which is the universe and everything that's contained in it. So you want to know if these two ideas are connected. Now the truth is they're not only connected, they're actually dependent upon each other, and they're very powerfully interrelated and interconnected. But it's a complex and nuanced issue, so we won't get into it in detail. I'll just say one point. What is the difference between Pnimis and Chitzainis? Between internal energy and external energy? So let's take a person, for example. A human being operates on two levels of consciousness. One level of consciousness is the human being as he interacts with the environment which he inhabits. This is an external level of consciousness where the human being is impacted and affected by his surroundings, by people around him, and therefore he receives feedback from his environment and he's responding to his environment and he's interacting with his environment. This is the external level of man's consciousness. And then there is the pnimius, which is man's intimate self, that level of self where he is totally aloof, sublime and independent, where he's not in, interacting with an outside realm, an outside reality, but he's totally, in, he, this is the quintessence of the human being, where he's totally separated and aloof, he is disconnected from the reality which is outside of him, that is the part of man which is untouchable, so to speak, where he is intimately himself, not responding to energy outside of him, not receiving feedback from energy, not interacting with that energy. That part is usually not projected, revealed, or communicated. Sometimes us, we ourselves are unaware and don't have a relationship with that. Now, let's see how to put this. From this we understand that the pnimius, in order to function and to survive and to flourish, doesn't need an outside environment. It operates within itself. The intimate part of man operates within itself. But the concept, the chitzaniest part of man, the external consciousness and energy of man, 
By necessity means that there is something outside of him with which he is interacting. Chitzainius means that he acknowledges a reality, a world which is outside of him, and he is impressed by that reality, he is affected by that reality, he affects that reality, he is impacted by it and he impacts it. So the Chitzainius element of man by necessity demonstrates and acknowledges the fact that there is a world outside of him. So from this we understand that there is a major difference when the chitzonius of man is involved in creating something and the pinamius of man is projected in something else. When the chitzonius of man creates something, when a chitzonius, the reality, creates something, this by definition means that this thing that it creates is something else, is something separate of it. Because that is the whole definition of chitzonius. The whole definition of the external energy of man is that it relates to something else outside of him. That, that is what makes it external. So therefore, when we say the Chitzenius creates something, by definition it means that the Chitzenius is creating something else, is creating an entity outside of him. But when we say that the Pnimius is revealed in something, it remains the very same Pnimius without any change. Because the whole idea of Pnimius is that place where the human being is totally himself, not interacting with anything outside of him. So when that Pnimius is projected, it is the very same Pnimius. There's no other reality that has been introduced, created, fashioned, or formed. So therefore, this is the difference also concerning HaKadosh Baruch When we say that Hashem created the world through His external energy, it's that level where Hashem contracted Himself. And imbued Himself, and, and emanated, He contracted Himself. To the extent that the world has significance. That something else plays a role. That is external energy. That level of divinity which gives room for a world. Which gives room for life and so forth. So when we say that that level created a world. By definition it means that it, that energy created something else so to speak. But when we say that the Neshama comes from the Pnimius of Hashem. The Pnimius is that level of Hashem which is totally aloof and, sublo- aloof and sublime of any interaction with an outside realm. So when we say that the neshama is an embodiment of the pnimius of Hashem, it means that the very same energy is the essence of the neshama. That's the point. We'll conclude with a story which is told about one of the chassidim of the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. His name was Rebmonye Mazenson. He was an extraordinary scholar. He was a diamond merchant, a great philanthropist. And he came to the Rebbe for Yom Tif, and at the conclusion of Yom Tif, the Chassidim who came for the holidays would visit the Rebbe. They would go in what was called a Yechidus, a one-on-one soul-to-soul-to-soul meeting with the Rebbe. So Reb Munya was waiting in line, and in back of Reb Munya was another Jew who was totally different. This was a Jew who was a simpleton. He was an illiterate he did not know how to learn. He barely knew how to read Hebrew. He knew nothing. He was a very, very simple Jew, but he was a God-fearing man. Rebmanya Mazenson's turn came and he went into the Rebbe. And the Rebbe Rashab spent with him five minutes. And then he left. The next Jew, the simpleton, came in. And the Rebbe Rashab spent with him an hour. And Rebmanya saw this and he was totally amazed. He was astonished. He couldn't believe it. And he went into the Rebbe. And he poured his heart out to the Rebbe. He says, I don't understand. With all due respect, I know this Jew. He is personalityless. He's a simpleton. He knows nothing. He feels nothing. And why is it that the Rebbe gives me five minutes and this Jew the Rebbe spends an hour with? So the Rebbe begins explaining to him 
the uniqueness of a neshama of a Jew, a chelak alakami ma'al mamish, the preciousness, the preciousness of every single Jew, even the most simple of Jews. But Rebunya still seems to disagree. He fails to comprehend. He tells the Rebbe, but I know this guy. I know him very well. He's a nobody. There's nothing to him. What did the Rebbe do for an hour with him? And why did I only get five minutes? And the Rebbe continued to elaborate the point about the value and the significance of every Jew and how we can never understand the true value of an Hashem, which is mamish, part of the divine, of the godly reality. It's a child of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But after everything, Rebbe tells the Rebbe, Rebbe, ich nicht. I just don't understand. No. The Rebbe didn't respond. And he left the room. Prior to his going home, his custom was every year to present to the Rebbe a diamond which he purchased that year. In fact, he would always give the Rebbe the best diamond, the most superb diamond, which he purchased which he purchased during the last year. And he would give it to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would use it for his many charitable causes and institutions that he had in Russia at that time. So Rebbe Mundi came into the room prior to his departure home, and he presented to the Rebbe, to the, Rebbe the diamond, and he began... Telling the Rebbe the beauty, the amazing elements and characteristics and features of this diamond. He told the Rebbe that the experts say that this is one of the most exquisite, beautiful, unbelievable diamonds. He tells the Rebbe how much he paid for it. And he elaborates and he explains all the various features and unique qualities that this diamond possesses. And the Rebbe lifts it and begins turning it from one side and then turns it over to the other side. And looks at it this way and this way. And he tells Rebmanya, I don't see any uh, special quality to this. To me it seems like a simple pebble. Look outside in my garden. There are many pebbles and stones. And to me they seem extremely similar. Very similar. Rebmanya is frustrated. He tells the Rebbe, what do you mean? This is one of the most beautiful, expensive, exquisite diamonds that's found in Russia this time. This season, this year. And the Rebbe looks at it again and he says, I'm sorry, but I just don't see the beauty. I'm looking and it, it seems to me like a simple pebble. So Rebunya says that you have to look deeper, you have to know how to appreciate a diamond. You have to realize that sometimes externally it could be identical to another pebble. But really it's it's much deeper and much, much, much greater and so forth. The Rebbe again is looking and looking and looking and finally he turns to Rebunya and he says, I'm sorry. I do not see the beauty of this diamond. So Rabmanya, with all his frustration, he says, Rebbe, what should I tell you? On a diamond, you have to be a maven. A maven means someone with a keen understanding and sensitivity. On a diamond, you have to have an understanding and a sensitivity. The Rebbe smiles. He turns to Rabmanya and he says, Yes, Rabmanya, yes, Rabmanya. On an Ishama, you have to be a maven. Have a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.